Hi, everyone. I'm Dr. John White, WebMD's Chief Medical Officer and host of the Spotlight On series from WebMD's Health Discovered podcast. For this special two-part episode, you'll hear up-close and personal journeys about being diagnosed with a rare type of cancer, multiple myeloma. He looked at me. I have been his patient for more than 20 years. And he said, this is really strange. You're an African-American, age 57. I've never seen this before. This back pain that you're continually having with no signs of osteoporosis. No signs, exactly. And I didn't have any signs of osteoporosis in my family history. Listen to Health Discovered on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, this is Kenny Albert. You're listening to the Broadway Hat Podcast with your host, Kyle Hall, the number one podcast for all things Rangers hockey. Welcome back to the Broadway Hat Podcast. I'm your host, Kyle Hall, and the New York Rangers have gone into a scoring slump here this week after a 1-0 overtime win against the Flyers where Carter Hart played out of his mind, but the Rangers just could not finish. They get beaten up pretty bad by the Bruins at the Garden uh, last and uh, on Thursday night, and then Sunday against the Red Wings, they lose three to two in overtime after jumping out to a two nothing lead. It's pretty apparent the Rangers can't score right now. Uh, guys like Chris Kreider, who has had every opportunity in the world to finish, just can't finish right now. He's just snake bitten from the net. Kreider actually, I think he's third in the NHL right now in expected goals. Um, he just can't finish for whatever reason. And he talked about it. He got uh, demoted to the fourth line last game by Galant, who ch- changed lines up for the third period, tried to get anything he could go in for the team. And, uh, you know, Halak actually played probably the best game he's played as a Ranger yet. The Rangers were able to get just a one point out of it. But, you know, this scoring, it, it's rough right now for the Rangers. They're, they're getting shots on net. They just they are not getting the, the high-end chances. And they're not getting any rebounds at all. You know, that could be a problem, you know, the goaltending, is it their shot angles, whatever it is, they're not getting any rebounds, any uh, secondary chance opportunities. And that's where guys are Kreider, that's where they get, you know, that's how they make their money in front of the net on rebounds and such. They're not getting that. Um, the other problem is the power play. You know, there's great power play, which last year carried the Rangers through the season, but definitely the playoffs big time. Um, you know, the whole thing about a five on five play last year and the Rangers again are very similar five on five as they were last year, but the power play that was clicking at almost a 30% rate last year is only at 22% right now, which is 15th in the NHL and their expected goals in the power play is 22nd. Um, so, I mean, when that unit is not going and not scoring, the Rangers are in big time trouble to produce. And I don't know. I think they found a little bit of, uh, on that when they, uh, moved the power play kind of further in. Instead of doing all the cross-ice passes, they kind of went uh, from behind the net up. They, they found some success there. But then again, last game, they went right back to the Panarin cross-ice, the Fox cross-ice, to Zabanja for a one-timer. That's the that's all they're doing right now. Is They're trying to set up Zabanja for the one-timer. And he's yet to score 5-on-5 five five this year, Zabanja. He's, all his goals are coming to the power plays, so... Um, you know, the Rangers have to get something going on five on five on offense. Their best guy five on five is Alexis Lafreniere. You know, right now he's 13th in the league and expected goal scored five on five, which is by far the best Ranger. The next one, the category is Kako at 31st. And then there's not another Ranger until Kreider, who's 49th. So, I mean, the Rangers have to do something to score a five on five. And I don't know if it's putting the kid line back together to kind of get a spark from some of these guys, but Right now, the the top two lines for the Rangers are the are one two in goals expected for the year in the NHL. Zabanjan lines number one, the Trocheck Panarin lines number two. The problem is that the Trocheck line is also number one in goals against. Zabanjan line is nineteenth in goals against. So the the expected goals are there. They're just not finishing. They're not scoring. It's it's frustrating. It's very frustrating. Obviously. Yeah, for a player on this team, this coaching staff, it's frustrating. You see the frustration last game. Halak smashing a stick after the game. No one of the Rangers gave another one away. 
And they only sit three points back of first place right now. It's so early in the season, but you can see this could be a problem that can continue on. You'd think something would give soon enough. You know, Chris Kreider only a 9% shooting percentage. Like, that has to go up. Lafreniere only at a 5.9% shooting percentage. That has to go up with all the chances that he gets. He'll, you know, Hedl right now is at 20%. You know, get, get, get him back going in the lineup after his injury. Get him back. Get him rolling. You know, Fox, I think, has played very well. But now Lindgren out. We'll see more uh, Keandre Miller, which I think Ranger fans have wanted to see. So hopefully that does mesh. They, you know, they played pretty well together last game. Fox played an outstanding game. You know, unfortunately, guard Zach Jones got beat a couple times and he got benched for the third period. We saw a lot of um, Hayek, which I would guess if Lindgren returns this week, is his upper body, so who knows when he's going to be back. But I would assume... You're probably going to see Hayek back in the lineup. I actually thought he played pretty well the other night against Detroit. So I would think they probably put him over uh, Jones right now. But, you know, if Lingren stays out, obviously Jones will stay in the lineup. But, you know, another guy like Sammy Blay. I, I like him. He's got almost 40 hits on the year. He hits everything that moves. But he's done absolutely nothing offensively. Um, he's had two assists in 10 games. And that bottom line is doing – they are giving nothing offensively at all. Nothing offensively. And I know it's your fourth line, but you got to have some kind of element of hope to score. And I think the best guy who's played on the bottom lines recently is Julian Gauthier. I think he's been really good since he's come back from Hartford. I think uh, he's got a very you – know, his physical – playing a physical game. I know he, he's got two points in six games, but he's, you know, play, crashing net. He's drawn eight penalties – no, eight – Four power plays are ready for the Rangers, which is something he's always been able to do. So he's drawing penalties. I think he's played a really strong game. And personally, when all these guys, when everyone comes back healthy, when Hedl gets back in the lineup now, and I, I saw, you know, they scratched Reeves last game. I think it's either going to be Reeves or Blay. I, I think Jimmy Vesey's played really well. I think Julian Gauthier has earned a spot in this team. And I think just because of the way that he can kill penalties and has been really good in face-offs. Ryan Carpenter's kind of found a spot now. So the odd man out to me, if you get Vitaly Kratsov back, you know, who are you going to sit in this lineup? To me, it's Sammy Blay. And it's going to be, you know, him, Reeves, and probably VC who are going to be ending up being the three guys that are going to rotate here uh, for the time being. Because I think the Rangers are going to try to get uh, Kratsov back in this lineup, getting more opportunity. He's barely played at all this year with the Every time he plays, he gets hurt. But they need some offense, and he's a guy who can give them offense. And, you know, I, five on five, like we said, they need an, another score, which Kratzoff can do to kind of stretch his lineup out. They're going to split up uh, Kreider for tonight's game against the Islanders. It looks like Kreider's going to be playing on a third line. First line's going to be Panera and Amika together, so we'll see how that goes with Kako, who I think Kako's played really well. Like I said, he's... The second best Ranger at five on five expected goals. I think Kako's played really well. Um, it's just it's it's very disappointing to see after such a great last team last year that you know again they're right back in this five on five rut, which you know you thought they they, they figured out. You know one thing they might have figured out is faceoffs. It's the one point where you know the Rangers really improved. They're at fifty one point three percent or fifty one point four percent in faceoffs right now, which is twelfth best in the league. And, um, you know, a big factor in that is the Trocek signing. You know, he's a guy who historically has been very good in faceoffs. He's been great for the Rangers this year, almost 54% in the season. You know, Heedle's vastly improved in hit, you know, his draws. He's up to 50, almost 53%. And then, like I said, Ryan Carpenter has been very good. He's almost at 60. I think he's over 60% now in faceoffs. Yeah, 60 point, actually 60.7%. So, you know, they're doing a much better job on faceoffs. You know, Zavanna has a 50%. That's working. That's one thing that's good. You know, obviously, it's keeping them in the offensive zone or, you know, winning the defensive zone faceoffs. But they've got to start scoring goals. They have to start scoring goals. They have to stop with the cross-ice passing and just get shots on net, get rebounds, because they're not getting any rebounds right now. So they got to get rebounds. they get those dirty goals that just aren't happening for them right now. And we'll see. We'll see if they can turn around. They have... Uh, it's a tough week this week. A lot of travel. You know, the Islanders on Tuesday night. You get the Red Wings on Thursday. Then the Preds down in Nashville Saturday night. And then back home with the Coyotes for Sunday on a back-to-back. So it's another tough schedule this week before they head out next week on a Western uh, West Coast road trip. So, 
It's not going to get any easier for the Rangers here this week. But when you look at, you know, the other thing, uh, I was taking a look at the Rangers' playoff um, percentages, and this is all on Money Puck. MoneyPuck.com is a great website to look at for analytics. The Rangers right now, are they're giving the Rangers a 1.5% chance to win the Stanley Cup. And just to make the playoffs, they're only at 42.2%. So um, not great. Not great for the New York Rangers from the analytics standpoint. Um, I think their power rankings are down to 19th. And you, and you hate to say it, but, you know, obviously Igor has been fantastic, but he's, he had such a good season last year. I think there's a lot of expectation for him to be that, you know, game saver again for them. But, you know, he's letting a couple of goals, and, um, you know, his expected goals against is not the top of the league right now. It's kind of middle of the pack for starters. So, you know, he's not going to be there every night to save them. So that's why the Rangers have to get scoring here. If they don't start scoring, it's going to be um, – it's going to be a long season because it's going to be a lot of 3-2, two, 2-1 two games. And if they can't if they can't get it done, obviously they're going to fall short. So, yeah, it's early in the year. I hate to sound negative, but it, it's something that you're going to have to watch for. And obviously you hope that eventually these tip-ins that Kreider has scored 50 goals with last year eventually start going in. Um, you know, the analytics show that he's there. He's making the plays. He's just not finishing it. So hopefully they start finishing them soon. Um, but, yeah, tonight, New York Islanders, big matchup, big rivalry. And kind of similar to last Islander Ranger matchup, we have another player who played for both teams joining the show. But we like to think of him much more as a New York Ranger. 1994 Stanley Cup champion Glenn Healy joins the show. And what a character he is. Some unbelievable stories from his 15 years in the National Hockey League and also we talk about his role with the NHL alumni now that he's taking over um, the alumni and really helping them. So uh, unbelievable conversation with Glenn, some great stories. And in any hockey fan, you would love listening to him. He's just, he's fantastic. So um, stick around for that. But before we send you to an interview with Glenn, I do want to tell you about our friends over in the clutch.com hockey seasons here, NFL season, NBA's in full swing. Now, so if you're going to games, make sure you go to intheclutch.com. Go find your favorite teams, your favorite players, buy their gear. And when you do, use the promo code BROADWAY to save 10% off today. So go on intheclutch.com. Go check out the Rangers selection. Go find some Knicks gear. Go find some baseball stuff for next season. Whatever you need to do, use that code BROADWAY and save 10% today at intheclutch.com. We are now joined by a very, very special guest, 1994 Stanley Cup champion, Glenn Healy. Thanks so much for joining us. Happy to be on the show. Uh, very happy. Thank you for having me. So I feel like every guy I've had on for the 94 team or any of your former teammates, they all tell me after, you got to get heels on the show. So I'm thrilled to finally get you on. Oh, do I apologize to everybody now? Because the best part of the show is over, the <laughs> anticipation, and now it's just right in the ditch. Here we go. <laughs> Well, let's go way back, get the get the brain working here. Growing up, uh, what was your favorite player growing up? What was your favorite team? What was how'd you end up being a goalie? So uh let's start with the beginnings, right? So how I started to be a goaltender. I I played with this uh this team called the Holy Redeemer. And we were the Holy Redeemer Flyers. We were feared throughout Canada. Not really, but uh the age group was from four years old to nine. So that's a big gap. So the nine-year-olds were good, the four-year-olds stunk. And it was back in the day with the buzzer system. So you'd get on the ice to be a buzzer and off you'd go. You'd find your way to play. The buzzer would go. Your two minutes is up back to the bench. Uh, I couldn't skate. So by the time I got back to the bench and I was up again, back out again. So I spent the entire first year and never touched the puck once. And my dad said, you know what? Why don't we let him be a goalie and the puck will come to him? And so that coach's coaching genius led to me being a goaltender and becoming a goaltender. My favorite team growing up, I grew up in the Toronto area and uh, favorite team was probably the Maple Leafs. Uh, we watched them when I was five. I watched them win the Stanley Cup in 1967 and thought they're just going to do it every year. So just wait till next year. We'll do it again. I, I could collect my social security and my old age pension. They haven't won since. 
So they would be my favorite team. But that that's kind of how we got started. You know, I think a lot depends on your parents. Uh, whether you're an Islander fan was based on the fact your dad, when you were young, bought you a Pat Flatley sweater from the uh, 1890s when Pat first started playing. <laughs> or whether your dad bought you a Ranger sweater and it had Mark Messe number 11 on the back. So a lot was just our influence of our parents. But for me, the game all the way through was all about life skills, uh, sacrifice, discipline, treating your teammates with respect, all the things that um, are most important in sport and not scoring goals and making saves and all the things that we strive for today sometimes with our kids. Yeah, I was an Adam Graves jersey, just so you know. Hi, everyone. I'm Dr. John White, WebMD's Chief Medical Officer and host of the Spotlight On series from WebMD's Health Discovered podcast. For this special two-part episode, you'll hear up-close and personal journeys about being diagnosed with a rare type of cancer, multiple myeloma. He looked at me. I have been his patient for more than 20 years. And he said, this is really strange. You're an African-American, age 57. I've never seen this before. This back pain that you're continually having with no signs of osteoporosis. No signs, exactly. And I didn't have any signs of osteoporosis in my family history. Listen to Health Discovered on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts. Yeah, pretty good pick. Yeah, it's in the rafters too. I don't know if you know mine's hung up in the rafters. Do you know that? Yeah, number three, three zeros up there right now. Yeah, they just put the wrong name on the back, Lundquist, but that's okay. Well, I heard if you look the other way, Healy's on the back. I actually thought of pranking him maybe and putting my name on the back. So when they do the great uh, reveal and up it comes, you'd see, you know, the name on the back. But then that being banned from life forever from Madison Square Garden didn't appeal to me. So I chose not to do it. Uh, So growing up in Canada, obviously major junior hockey is what most kids strive to go for. That's the most important thing from a lot of people up there. You went the college route. And is it true that you turned down Mike Keenan the first time to go play college? Yeah, when I was 16, uh, I had choices. Uh, Again, if you pick college, you can't play major junior. And I mean not play major junior even for – a day step on the ice you're considered a professional because players are getting paid at the major junior level regardless of how little but they're getting paid and so at 16 I had to make a pretty tough choice do I want to be the first educated Healy ever in all of our time all the way back to Scotland where my parents came from or do I want to play major junior and my parents were a big influence on me and thought if you learn you earn go to college get a degree and Mike was coaching the Peterborough Pete's at the time and came down to Pickering, um, that small town I lived in, uh, really well-renowned because it has eight nuclear reactors in the town, so you can fill in all the blanks yourself, <laughs> and uh, basically asked me to play for Peterborough, and I, and I told him no. I said my parents would like me to go to school, and at that point, he basically uh, just did an absolute perfect Mike Keenan, criticized me to no end, ridiculed me humbled me and told me I'd never make anything of myself. And so that is hard to take for a 16 year old kid, really hard. Uh, But when I did make the NHL and he wasn't there yet, I did wait in LA for him to walk in front of the locker room to go to his morning skate. And at that point I put my hand out and said, well, I guess you finally made it. Hey, you loser. So that's my story and I'm sticking to it. And then little did I know years later, he would be our coach in 94. <laughs> and I was very concerned about how he would respond to a Glenn Healy, who was a little bit of a mouthpiece, even back in the day. But that that was my choice, university education. And then uh, it really helped me because I didn't feel this necessity to have to play in the NHL. Like, if you don't make it, you're done. What are you going to do? I knew I had two degrees. I'd be okay. And it took some of that pressure off me to try to make it to the National Hockey League. And it set me up uh, for a great foundation for all of my life and all of the journey that I had while I played in the NHL. Yeah. And I mean, outstanding career there on the ice too, Western Michigan, you're in their hall of fame. And uh, I saw a picture of your plaque there as well uh, on the wall. (laughs) 
So just for anyone that's listening, it's, if you're in your senior year, don't grow a mustache like you're a porno star, please. You know, understand that picture could be up for a long time. So many of my ex-teammates and friends that I played with and against uh, will go to Kalamazoo to Western Michigan and see the banner up in the building and take a picture of it and basically send me a note and say, what the F is this? And I can't take that moment back, but Probably if I had Gillette as a sponsor, I would have had <laughs> and had a do-over. Just saying. You got to pull some of the strings. Maybe get a new picture to send up there. Maybe get, you know, an up-to-date one. You can be the first alumni to have, yeah. you know, a current picture up. I could Photoshop and I could be thinner <laughs> or attractive. That's not who played here. Uh, I did joke uh, one game when I was with Hockey Night Canada between the benches. And uh, Danny DeKaiser was another Western Michigan great. And uh, he was sitting beside me and we said hello because I'm between the benches. So you can talk to the players a little bit. I don't talk to the players like Pierre Maguire used to, where he'd have a complete diatribe full of, full of shite. Uh, but I would actually talk to the players. And I said, Danny, here's me up in the building with a mustache. I look like a porno star. And here's you. You look like a male model. Like, where did I go wrong? So, uh, but yeah, it's, uh, it's there. It's there forever. <laughs> And from Western Michigan, you you were undrafted and you ended up signing with the LA Kings. How did that come to fruition? Was there any interest in you after junior year or did senior year you start to pick up interest from some teams? No, not no interest whatsoever, other than the fact that I uh, played in the uh, CCHA uh, championship games against Bowling Green. And they were the best team in the country. They had a number of real good players. They actually won the NCAA that year. Uh, but uh, they had Gary Galley and Dave Ellett, both LA King players, and uh, Rogi Vashon uh, came down to, to the Joe in Detroit to watch those two players play. And uh, I just happened to have a game, uh, 70 plus saves. We beat them in overtime. And uh, Rogachen, Roser Vashon said, sign him, give him a chance. And that's how the door opened for me. But yes, not drafted at any league from the junior level to the NHL level. And the door was open for me then to have a, a, a couple years of a contract and a tryout. And then it was up to me to show whether I could play with the best players in the league. But, and I don't know why I had a game like that on that particular day, but just happened to in front of the right people at the right time, the right place. And uh, my journey had begun. Yeah. So, and then you make your NHL debut that, that next year. I mean, what were the nerves like going through you making that, making your first game? Well, I remember just even my first training camp, you know, they used to have it where you had what they called rookie camp and you would come in. It was just the rookies. And I thought I was really good. Like I was good. Like, man, this game is so easy at the professional level. And then came in the actual NHL players, Marcel Dion, Dave Taylor. And I was really bad. Like, I don't know <laughs> what happened in that one day, but something happened and the ghosts of hockey past took away all my talent. And I knew I had a long way to go. And uh, so, yeah, you know, when you're playing against guys that you just want to stop the game and get their autograph, or you're playing against Wayne Gretzky, I, I mean, all I, I just wanted a stick. That's all I wanted. <laughs> yeah, you have as many goals as you want, because I know you're going to get them anyways. So just could you sign a stick for me? And so that's the transition, right? Feeling that you belong, knowing you belong understanding what it takes to play at that level against the best at the time, 350 players in the world, only 16 starting goaltenders, 16 backup goaltenders. Uh, now in today's game, you've got 1100 players that play in the NHL. So back at the start, it was, it was rarefied air to make it to the national hockey league. And I was one of the fortunate ones that got that chance. Yeah. Talk about Gretzky. Uh, well, you were your first full year there in LA the greatest player in the world comes to Los Angeles. I guess, what was your first reaction to finding out that the great ones come to LA? Well, there's a great uh, insider in Canada. His name's Bob McKenzie. And uh, I met Bob just happened to be on a Saturday afternoon at uh, a, an establishment where you could buy some, some uh, sandwich meat and meat for barbecuing. It was the only place in Pickering. And he said to me, are you excited about getting your new player? And Again, this is pre-internet, pre-Twitter, pre-TikTok, pre-all the things you're on that I'm not. And uh, and I looked at it and I thought, which player are we getting? 
says, you're getting Wayne Gretzky. It was 8.30 in the morning, and I thought Bob had been drinking furiously all morning because what is he talking of? We're not getting Wayne, Wayne Gretzky. Maybe Brent Gretzky, Keith Gretzky, Wayne Gretzky. And sure enough, three days later, you know, you had the great announcement. <laughs> We'd like to welcome Wayne Gretzky to the LA Kings. And that first training camp was in Victoria, British Columbia, just off of mainland BC. And uh, we had more media at our training camp than the Oilers had at the Stanley Cup final when they won the cup the year before. I sat beside him and I spent the entire uh, two weeks asking reporters to kindly stop standing on my equipment because they thought if they stood on my goal pads, they'd get up a little higher so you get the cameras up. Uh, but the, the buzz with the team, the, you know, meet the Kings night had people like Paul Anka, Neil Diamond, John Candy, Ronald Reagan, <laughs> Tom Hanks, and one player who came to our locker room changed our team from chumps to near champs. It was that much of a difference with the best player in the game. So I apologize to Bob McKenzie for thinking he was Coco for Cuckoo, Cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs. No, he, he was bang on. And, uh, and we managed to become an elite team. And look what happened to hockey in the South from the moment he came on board. Florida, Tampa, Anaheim, San Jose, you know, Arizona, the list goes on and on based on him coming to LA and, and opening things up in the South. What were your first impressions of him? I guess just in practice, obviously you played against him, but in seeing him in practice and seeing, I guess, just how he sees the game kind of up close, like was that eye opening to you as well? Oh, you think when you have 4,000 points, when you, <laughs> you have 16 straight years and you get 200 plus points, and I'm from Pickering, Ontario, by a nuclear reactor. You think that was eye-opening for me? <laughs> really? He went from Grand Fear to me. How? What? That you talk about a step down? Uh, you, you know, the, I think the biggest thing. Uh, and Robbie Fatorik was our coach, and I can recall he called me in the office and said to me, "You know what your job is this year?" And you know, I a guest, you know, a starting goalie, backup goalie. What? Like, what do you need me to do? You better stop Wayne in practice because if you don't, you're gone. And so you have never seen someone try harder in practice in your life. Now, the other 19 guys couldn't care less about. They could score on me at will. But that one guy, dial it in. And that's the way it was. But uh, just an amazing talent. You know, I can recall asking one time, you know, when he would set up in his office behind the net and we would come up with a strategy. One player goes to him. Five points. Oh, okay, let's change our strategy. Next game. Two players go to him. One on either side. Five points. Okay, let's readdress this. Nobody goes to him. Five points. Okay. And I asked him, what do you see behind that net? Like, there's all the players. Were, like, literally, you know, Rover, Rover, we call both teams into the crease over, right? We're all there in the crease. We know where it's going to go. He says, all I see is Yerry Curry's stick. That's all I see. How? All I see is hands and gloves and sticks. And he sees one guy's stick. So an exceptional talent. And it was just a pleasure to play with him on a couple of occasions. Now, Pat did tell me a story that you thought that he wanted you traded because you couldn't see. Oh, gosh, you know, wrong, wrong. No, uh, we had uh, we had a game in Edmonton. and. Um, the rookies, and I was one of them, they wanted us to do this thing called eye training. And basically, it's a big board, lights light up, and you punch the lights. And it's, you know, kind of to see how quick you are in response to those lights. We'll call it eye training. It was at six in the morning, and I had no interest in doing it. Told the coach that. He told me he didn't care what I thought. And I had to go do this testing. Reluctantly, I went, but decided not to put my contacts in, which would make me legally blind. And the test came up, and I stood there, and the lights went on, and I did this. I couldn't see a light for anything. So word got spread through the Oilers to another great that we might know, played with the New York Rangers, might have wore a C, might have lifted a cup, 
I'm not going to name a name. And he actually at one point said the testing was done in Edmonton and he called Wayne to say, Glenn is blind. That's the problem with your goalie. So for the longest time, the rumor on the street was that I couldn't see. And Flat seems to be perpetuating this rumor. And that's okay. Um, <laughs> because I'll live with the results of the fact that I had no interest in getting up at six and doing eye training. And still don't to this day. Some things don't change. There we go. Now the rumor is addressed. It's done. Not blind. Yeah. Just didn't want to get up early in the morning. Years ago. Years yeah. later. We got Gretzky and that player that won't be named. Messier. Oh, mm -hmm. I named him. Oh, I can't yeah. believe I did. Number 11, we'll call him. Yeah, yeah. That was, that's his number. Uh, we're in Calgary, one of the first games of the year. And from my stall in Calgary, so for the fans that have never been in that locker room, it's a long way out, straight. And then you take a hard left, another, let's say, 60 feet. Another hard right, a little soft right, a little soft left onto the ice. And the whole way from my stall to the ice are arrows. And I wondered what they were for because how could you not know where the ice was if you played in the NHL? And it was, seemed a little strange. And before we went out, um, it was at that point, Mark said, Glenn, have a good game. And Wayne knows you're blind, so just follow the arrows onto the ice. Aha. So practical joke was well received. Uh, but yeah, that wasn't the case. Um, still pulling my faculties. <laughs> Uh, all right, so you leave LA, you end up with the Islanders, uh, you establish yourself as the goal as the starting goalie out there, and I want to talk about the ninety two ninety three conference finals run, one of the biggest upsets in NHL playoff history against the back to back Stanley Cup champion Pittsburgh Penguins. You guys go to Game Seven, you have forty two saves and, and carry the Islanders to a win. I guess how special was that run for you in that game? It has to be unbelievable of a memory. Hi everyone. I'm Dr. John White, WebMD's Chief Medical Officer and host of the Spotlight On series from WebMD's Health Discovered podcast. For this special two-part episode, you'll hear up-close and personal journeys about being diagnosed with a rare type of cancer, multiple myeloma. He looked at me. I have been his patient for more than 20 years. And he said, this is really strange. You're an African-American, age 57. I've never seen this before. This back pain that you're continually having with no signs of osteoporosis. No signs, exactly. And I didn't have any signs of osteoporosis in my family history. Listen to Health Discovered on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts. Iowans, you have dozens of betting options. Try a sports book built by bettors and run by bettors. Fred Doan started Betfred over 50 years ago with funds from a winning bet, and he's been known for delivering the best betting experience ever since. Visit BetfredSports.com to give us a try. New customers betting $50 get 111 in Fred bets and up to 200 Fred bets per week for five weeks. Terms apply. Proud partner of the Iowa Cubs and Iowa Wild. Must be 21 plus. Wagers only accepted in Iowa. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-BETS-OFF. Well, it's even further of a story. So pull one layer of the onion back. And we didn't have Pierre Turgeon, who was yeah. our best player. Uh, I think Dale Hunter just finished hitting him like last week after he had scored. I, I think it was like 14 minutes earlier. And he thought, oh, I thought he still had the puck. Really? <laughs> He's already showered. Uh, but so we lost our best player. And we were a beat up team. We were young. We had three young defensemen on, on the back end. We had Dennis Vasky, Malakoff, and Kasparitis. Uh, we had Pat Flatley as our leader. We had some great players in Claude Lozell and, the, you know, Mully and uh, Ray Ferraro. We, we, we had a good team, a good bunch of guys, but we weren't the Pittsburgh Penguins, certainly without Pierre. Uh, they were a two-time Stanley Cup champ dynasty. Mario Lemieux, Yager, Francis, I could keep going. They're all in the Hall of Fame. Just go to the Hall. You'll see all their names there. And Al Arbor sat a chair in the middle of the room and he basically looked at our group and we were pretty much defeated. We were thinking, could we just tell them we renege? It's over. We're done. And he said, no, let's go to Pat Flatley and ask if he could tie one shift against Mario Lemieux. Of course, Pat said yes. And then it was Ray Ferraro and then it was Mullen and then it was Loiselle and then it was Benoit Hogue. And then, OK, guys, first period's over. Now let's go to the second period. Can you tie another shift? 
And at the end of the day, the message was this. All we have to do is win one shift in overtime in game seven. And that would have been the one time that a Pittsburgh Penguin defenseman on an odd man rush took a step forward off of a change instead of a step back. And that opened up the Ray Ferraro goal at two on one. And we eliminated and slayed uh, the, uh, I guess, the, uh, the the great one in Mario. And uh, certainly don't know how we did it, but we did it as a team. Wasn't a Glenn Healy show. It was an entire team that pitched in. Game six, Tom Fitzgerald scored two shorthanded goals. Two on the same penalty kill. And that was the difference in that game. And game seven... We had everybody on board. We had a gentleman by the name of Steve Junker, played game seven. I never met him before the game. I've never seen him since, and I never talked to him. <laughs> Where is he now? <laughs> Anyways, but it was a team effort in every way. And hey, good Pat Flatley credit. He was doing it on one leg. Um, well, that's the way his whole career was. But no, he was doing it on one leg. <laughs> And uh, really a heroic effort by everybody, and especially him. And then the other story from that is the the missing, the finger, that you lost the tip of your finger there with them. How, how yeah, did that even happen? These are all great highlights. Is there anything else you want to bring up? Like <laughs> <laughs> That was no, a good highlight. That was a game yeah. seven win that just went over. Yeah. No, it was a Steve Thomas shot that, you know, for those that don't know, when pucks are shot, they come in like a, like a, like a saw. And it just so happened to hit me in the wrong spot and take the top of my finger off. Uh, Ray Ferraro at the time was going to put my gloves on and play net, you know, kind of having fun. And the trainer was this gentleman by the name of Ed Taberski. It might have been the only time in practice he was awake on the bench because normally that was his nappy time. And uh, Tiber ended up getting some tweezers and pulled the finger out. We put it in saline and I was off to the hospital to... Uh, to get it sewed back on and and if it didn't solve itself that probably would have been the end of my career so uh, i stuck around for a number of years based on some some good work by the trainer ed taberski and some great work by a doctor so it was through a glove it was actually your goalie glove was on yeah yeah that's and crazy it's uh probably the weirdest injury that clearly i've ever had and uh it was a it was a kind of a crazy time, uh, but uh, but again, the doctor was a, a, a guy by the name of Charlie Malone, and uh, when he was doing the surgery, he had a cane, and I I could recall saying, you know, you did you get surgery? What, what's going on with you? And he said, No, I'm going through a bad divorce, and my my ex wife just shot me in the ass with a gun. So I'm like, you can't make this stuff up. I got a severed finger. He got shot in the ass. Ray Ferraro is going to put my glove on. I got it in a cup. Like. It'd be a movie. He's again shot in the hand himself. You know, at least his hands were okay. Yeah, that would have been a bad surgery. <laughs> um, have to do that work, it's so delicate with your feet. I can tell you. So, yeah. uh, so after that run in the ninety two ninety three season, the expansion draft comes. You end up on three teams in twenty four hours. The Ducks draft you, and then the Lightning everyone draft you. Wanted everyone wants you, and you end up in New York. You end up back with the Rangers. So, I mean. Uh, how crazy did the Ducks and Lightning send you a jersey for your time there or anything or no? Oh, well, we were at our year end party with the uh, New York Islanders and it was a great run. You just mentioned beating Pittsburgh and I was up for a contract negotiation. And uh, and again, our great buddy, Pat Flatley, has been so positive for me in many ways. But he decides to write um, with a pen my contract demands on a napkin and hand it to the owners and say, this is all it's going to take to sign Glenn. And uh, the owners at the time, there was four of them, and they crumpled up the piece of paper and threw it at me. So I think at that point, I realized, probably not going to be back here next year, right? And uh, yeah, we all went to Ireland on a team vacation to celebrate a great year. And it just so happens that expansion draft, yes, the Anaheim Mighty Ducks picked me up. And no, I didn't have a cell phone in Ireland, nor did I have a computer. This is 1993. No one had a cell phone other than those big white ones with the massive antennas. Didn't have it. And then day two of the expansion draft, Tampa was allowed to pick one player from the year before. They were, they were allowed to pick one, and they picked me and then traded me to the Rangers. But in the interim, Anaheim picked me, tried calling me to let me know, welcome to the team. No answer. 
So you can imagine what they thought of me. Then Tampa picks me. No answer. Imagine what they thought of me. Can't get a hold of this guy. Won't call me back. He's a, you know what? Uh, and then the Rangers get me. And same thing. I'm in the West Coast of Ireland with no phone, no house phone, no cell phone. And not knowing that I was from a New York Islander to a New York Ranger. And uh, found out and was in total disbelief because those two teams, they don't trade together. They don't talk together. They don't get along together. The fans don't like each other. It's kind of like the Healy Christmas dinner. It's just that not a lot of fun. But uh, that that was my journey. And then came back to the mainland to realize I'm a New York Ranger. All right. The team that we beat out the year before, with two games maybe left in the season. The team that when that game, when I was one of the stars, I walked on the ice in Madison Square Garden without gloves on and gave all the fans the bird. And then here I was a couple months later wearing that sweater going, oh, I hope they didn't remember. Please don't remember. <laughs> However, uh, that began a pretty good journey with the Rangers. Yeah. And so you get to the Rangers and your old friend, Mike Keenan, is the head coach, known for hooking goaltenders basically by shift, you know, changing it in and out, in and out. Uh, so what is going through your brain first day of training camp? You have Mike Keenan looking at you. You've had your previous run-ins. You have the knowledge of knowing how nuts he is with goaltenders. Are you like, what have we, what have I got myself into here? Well, my nickname was Headcase Healy. So if you think he was a head case, then I wasn't about to let him dele delineate any line in the sand to me. I'm going to put the line in the sand. This is the line you don't cross. And so, yeah, there, there were challenging moments. And, you know, the great thing about Mike Richter and I, other than a, an incredible friendship, incredible respect I have for him as one of the greatest Ranger goalies ever, uh, it was just that we were just the two of us together. We didn't have a goalie coach. Uh, we didn't have overdo it. We had to rely on each other. We had to be strategic guys together for how we were going to play against different teams strategically, how we were going to deal with that six inches between our headspace, because we knew, you know, Hey, you might be getting pulled in warm up. You, you just never know. Right. The, the craziness just didn't stop, uh, but we hung together with each other and helped each other through it. And the rest to me was just white noise uh, because no one wanted to win more than the 23 players or 25 that played for the New York Rangers in that particular year. And right from day one, when we had our first skate and we went to training camp that year, if you remember in uh, England, mm -hmm. uh, it was the French's mustard cup, the challenge cup. And we didn't bring a lot of extra players. We brought our team. And I recall the very first time I stepped on the ice, I thought we were good with the Islanders, but this team is damn good. And pretty much wire to wire, we were the President's Trophy champs and Stanley Cup champs at the end and three generations of misery. Yeah, uh, yeah, incredible season. And you guys were so good that whole year. I know it was a little bit of a slow start, but you guys really got rolling around Christmas. And I asked every guy from the team this question because I think it was a shock, not only to Ranger fans, but to the team as well when Mike Gartner got traded. What was your reaction to that trade? Well, if you recall, that we made uh, – that wasn't just the one trade. We well, made yeah, a lot. Yeah, yeah. The deadline. And we were one of the best teams in the league. We were the best team in the league. We flew from New York to Calgary. Everyone's aware when you play in the NHL when the deadline is. You know, you're acutely aware because you don't really want to be traded, especially where you're on the best team in the league. And you know you got a chance at a cup. And I can recall uh, getting on the bus in Calgary to practice that morning, and we had made – a a bunch of trades. Todd Marchant got traded. We had traded for uh, Craig McTavish. We, we just, again, numerous deals. And sitting there, there were about 12 of us on the bus and thinking, wow, they really loved our team, didn't they? They really loved <laughs> us. So we were the, you know, magnificent, no, magnificent seven didn't skate. We were the dirty dozen that made our way to practice. And uh, hey, those trades were made for particular reasons, whether it was to be bigger, tougher, smarter, more experienced. You know, whether it was just to have a Craig McTavish came to the team and won that last faceoff against the Vancouver Canucks. And that was all that this, the club needed. Mm -hmm. Well, thank you for putting my name on the cup forever, <laughs> right? Because it's so appreciated. And so, yeah, they, they made a bunch of moves and, and maybe it was just the makeup of what we needed. And Neil knew we needed to make a difference as we got into that two month war and, and 
trying to play four different teams. Some teams are trap teams. Some teams are crap teams like the Islanders that year when we just walked right through them. Some teams are tough teams. Some teams play wide open like Vancouver did. So we had to be able to play all different ways. I'll say I think the biggest guy that trade deadline was Stefan Matteau. Uh, obviously, you could say probably arguably the biggest goal in Rangers history. Two of them. He scored two goals in double overtime against New Jersey and uh, the infamous Matteau, Matteau. Uh, and he's still to this day, he, I, I think he's got a, he had a voodoo doll with Lundquist on it because he didn't want them to win the cup that year in LA because, oh my gosh, well, what would happen? That goal <laughs> would mean all that much, would it? So, but uh, Steph was a really, uh, you know, a real big part of our team. And again, size and speed and tough to handle down low. And, you know, you look at that wraparound goal, like even a defenseman like Stevens or Danico, he, he was tough to handle, but uh, but a really good guy. And I, I that's the one thing I'll say about the team. I, like Every guy was just an incredible person and to this day has been an incredible ambassador, not only to that New York Ranger crest, but to the game itself. And then we talked about number 11 before. But Mark Messier, one of the greatest leaders in NHL history. Let me look him up. Let me look, hold on yeah, look him up. There's an award oh. named after him for leadership. You know, some guy, that's some guys win sometimes. Um, I guess to talk about him and how incredible of a leader he is in, um, in the locker room. Not only on the ice, but in the locker room, every guy just says how special he is a person. Yeah, the one thing that Mark, you know, he he uh, his family they mean a lot to him, and uh, a lot of times when he was playing with the Oilers. He would uh, sit down. A bunch of players would go for dinner at his parents' place on a Sunday. And and his dad, Doug, was, you know, a pretty impressive professional player on his own right. But between his mom and his dad, they taught that family and the hockey family, the Oilers, that foundation of what it takes to win. That's why it was m most important. His family means that much to him because they, they learn a lot of valuable lessons. And probably the most valuable is that everybody matters. Everyone in that locker room. I don't care if you're Benny Patrizzi who came to the Rangers in the forties after he was injured in world war II and just picked up towels and shine shoes. Benny mattered. Mark made sure Benny got a ring. Didn't matter if you're the fourth line guy. Didn't backup goalie. Didn't matter. Everybody mattered. Didn't matter if you're Eddie Olachek and all that he did was to stretch because Mike Keenan didn't like him. Okay, that being said, that stretch is something that mattered so much that if you look at our Stanley Cup ring, it's got uh, this saying on it, heave ho, which is what we used to say at the end of every stretch. Grab an oar, we'll all pull together. It meant that much. So we, we put it on our ring. So Mark recognized that. And he understood that uh, making sure that everybody felt like they were a big part of the hockey club. But he also could be the guy to play 40 minutes. He could be also the guy who said, we will win. And he goes out and gets three goals on his own and clinches what would have been uh, an insurmountable lead when we played the Devils in game six. And he was the difference maker to get us to game seven for Stefan Matteau to be a hero 30 years later. So <laughs> Mark did it all. But uh, more important than all the stuff on the ice, his off-ice uh, demeanor, his presence, the best leader in any sport, not hockey, any sport, anytime, ever. Hi, everyone. I'm Dr. John White, WebMD's Chief Medical Officer and host of the Spotlight On series from WebMD's Health Discovered podcast. For this special two-part episode, you'll hear up-close and personal journeys about being diagnosed with a rare type of cancer multiple myeloma. I started in myeloma nearly 25 years ago. And at that time, the average expectation of life in someone with myeloma was maybe one to two years. But even just in this last 10 to 12 years, we have doubled, if not tripled, the average survival of patients. I saw a new patient this week, and we had this conversation that based on what we've done over the last decade, my expectation is that patient's going to live more than 10 years. Listen to Health Discovered on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts. 
Iowans, you have dozens of betting options. Try a sports book built by bettors and run by bettors. Fred Doan started Betfred over 50 years ago with funds from a winning bet, and he's been known for delivering the best betting experience ever since. Visit BetfredSports.com to give us a try. New customers betting $50 get 111 in Fred bets and up to 200 Fred bets per week for five weeks. Terms apply. Proud partner of the Iowa Cubs and Iowa Wild. Must be 21 plus. Wagers only accepted in Iowa. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-BETS-OFF. And that's the only kind of final goes game seven. Uh, incredible final one. It's, it's voted one of the most, you know, watched finals of all time and one of the best finals of all time. Uh, one of the biggest saves and biggest highlights is the Richter Bure, uh, shoot, uh breakaway, you know, the uh, penalty shot save. Did you give Richter any advice before that save? Uh, can we, did you give me any I tips? Was, I, was, I was vomiting on the bench. <laughs> Couldn't watch. <laughs> Too much pressure for me. <laughs> You know, if you recall that year, uh, they had the All-Star game in Madison Square Garden. And uh, so they they had they where moved. <laughs> Ray had the exact same move. And all I'm thinking was, Ricky, please remember that move. Remember that move. And same move, same try, same result, same save. And after the game, I, you know, approached Mike and said, wow, smart on you, buddy. Great to remember that, right? You had that in your toolbox. That's great. He goes, what? What in my toolbox? He didn't remember. <laughs> okay. I mean, yeah. It, who was that again? Bure. Yeah, you might want to remember. <laughs> oh, Ricky was such a athletic goaltender and just uh, so competitive and just so fit and just, you know, a complete goaltender in every way. I was the opposite. I was cheating like crazy. Like, honestly, my pads were illegal. My sweater was illegal. Doing whatever I could to survive. And then there was him. Uh, but that was the save. That that was the one that, you know, where you sit back and you go, we believe. Like, we can do this. That was it. He just, he put an end to their best player and said, let's move on. Uh, and really, um, it could have been four straight. We should have won game one, uh-huh. if not for Kirk McLean, who was the best game I've ever seen Kirk McLean play, but it could have been four straight, but it did go seven and it shows you just how hard that trophy is to win. Yeah. So you guys bring home the the Stanley cup. Uh, Now every guy I've had on has a great story about the cup. I've heard from sources. I won't say who it is, but rumor is that you may or may not have misplaced the cup during one of the parties at a uh, New York city bar. And had to go back to retrieve it. Okay, I know who told you the story. Um, so I'll rat him out. <laughs> we went and we did the parade, and then they they said, "Well, we need the cup to go to MTV." Right? I love my MTV. I'd sing it, but I'm not a good singer. And so they asked Nick Kiprios and Glenn Healy to get put the cup in a cop car, and up we go to MTV. Beautiful. Two guys really that had very little to do with winning the cup, but we have the cup after the parade and off we go to McSorley's because that was my idea. Let's not go straight. Let's stop on the way because there's the oldest bar in New York city that we should stop at. And so we did and we stopped and you know, if anyone's been to McSorley's sawdust on the floor, they don't even have kinds of beers, darker light. And we were all excited and the cup made its way and we're high-fiving and we're going to get a, a libation because we deserve it. The parade's been long and arduous and we turn around and look and the cup is gone. So the two guys from Toronto, one from North York or Markham, depending on where you want to say his home was, one from Pickering by a nuclear reactor who had the least amount to do with the cup have lost the Stanley Cup. Now, New York's finest. Thank you very much. We found it a couple streets over amongst the crowd of a couple hundred, and we got the cup back and made our way up to MTV. So it could have been disastrous, and uh, that wouldn't have been a very good party at the mayor's house that night, minus the hardware that we fought to win for 54 years. <laughs> yeah, I'm not going to say you told me that story, but yeah, thank you. Forget uh, for, for about it. He's the only guy who had a Stanley Cup uh, party and had a cash bar. So he, I think he made like 30 grand on his Stanley Cup bash, which not bad. It's 10,000 more than he had for his cash bar at his wedding. So 
between his wedding and the Stanley Cup party, he's paid for his house. It's amazing. I think I think he had the he was doing Stanley Cup appearances. I think into the next season. Oh yeah, no he he had the cup more than uh, Rocket Richard. <laughs> it, it was a tie, even though Rocket's got his name on it about sixteen times. Kipper had the cup more. Just saying. <laughs> uh, so after you run with the Rangers, you, you sign with your hometown Leafs. How special was that to play back? Uh, you know, for your hometown team. Yeah, they were the team that I, uh, when I was five, watched them win the cup in 67 and really wanted to play with them and try to do what we did in New York, a race. Now they're at four generations without a cup, mm-hmm. but that, that was the goal for me. And if I could do that, I thought, boy, that, that would solidify, you know, two great runs with two original six teams, with two teams that hadn't won a championship in so, so long. And we were close. We went to the semifinals, uh, you know, a couple wins away to get to the Stanley cup final on a couple occasions. And we just, it's a hard trophy to win. We couldn't push it across the line, but uh, not through lack of trying, but it was a proud moment when I put that leaf sweater on and knew that, Hey, my parents would have been proud. Uh, I was proud to, to wear that sweater and uh, we just weren't good enough to win. And that's the simple fact. I think this is the, this year they broke the Rangers streak for longest drought without the cup. So you know, maybe this is it. It took 54 years the Rangers. They're like 54 and change now in Toronto. Maybe this is the year they do it. You know, maybe is not a way to start a sentence when you're talking about championship teams. <laughs> Why don't you start with I hope? That's another good one. Well, I hope it comes back maybe to New York. I don't hope it goes to I Toronto. Hope and maybe. <laughs> I hope it comes back to New York. You know, maybe we're our own drought here. Maybe Glenn will lose some weight after COVID. Maybe. No, not yet. As much and, as I as much as I love you guys, the '94 alumni, always back at MSG. I want to see some more, you know, Cup champions come back to the Garden. Uh, I would love that too. And uh, you know, the year they played LA, and gosh, it was heartbreaking. I think they were down two games to nothing to into LA, and LA had led the series for like 0.5 of a second. Yeah, it was a couple games in overtime, and just uh, but an incredible run. But it's it is not an easy thing to win. That's for sure. Were you a prankster? Um, yes, uh, certainly was, and in a lot of ways, um, got caught a couple times. Uh, didn't go well for me. The guy you don't want to prank. Just gonna give everyone the heads up. Ty Domi. He never forgets. This guy has got a long memory and. He got back to me uh, for every one that I did to him. He got back to me a thousand times over. So stay away from him. But yeah, hey, you know what? There's so much pressure when you play in the NHL, so much pressure to win. It is a high wire act. It, it's a it's a tough craft. It beats you up physically, beats you up emotionally. And so you got to treasure every day you're in the NHL and truly enjoy uh, what you have. Uh, my best prank, maybe one of the guys on the Leafs, all used to brag about a Rolex watch he had and how I was so cheap, you know, because I don't have a watch and that I should buy a Rolex. So I did buy a Rolex. I did. I broke down and I bought a Rolex in Chinatown for $50 and proceeded to change that watch with his. And when he saw me in a Rolex, thought, finally, you've broken the bank. Way to go. You got some class. I had to convince him two weeks later that I actually had his watch. And the one he was wearing was from Chinatown. And it took another week before he firmly believed me that I had his real Rolex. I guess I could have a Rolex right now if I never told him, but I was just a little too honest. But there that, there, there's a few in the bank that I used to enjoy. <laughs> I heard a, a sneaky guy from those Rangers team that was a big prank, so it was Richter. Yeah, he was very sneaky and sly. And uh, probably Joey Kosher would be the most vicious for sure. Uh, he would do things that you, you might come home from a road trip to find all of your tires off on your car. Pretty hard to drive home when your car's on blocks. <laughs> Uber. Oh, that didn't exist back then. Okay. Yeah. You're catching a yellow cab in the middle of uh, yeah, 34th Street. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you have any superstitions? Goalies are, you know, sometimes there's some superstitious. I had so many, I couldn't even keep track of them all. Okay. Yeah. There was just, you know, and we would, we didn't call them that. We called them routines. We like to keep the same routine. Uh, but I don't think there's any player in the NHL. And if they tell you I have no superstitions, they're lying. They're lying. Everybody has them. 
I don't care if it's your left skate first, then your right skate, then your left pad, then your right pad. You just don't sit down and then decide, what do I want? Do I put my chest pad on first? No, you've got a routine or a superstition. You do. And even the greatest players of the game, when you watch, they've got a routine. And if you look at Sidney Crosby, just watch him for one warm-up. Just oh, one. That's crazy. It's, it, it's overwhelming. You know, you lose track at number 17 for superstitions. Um, here's a good question for you. Who's the best goalie in New York Rangers history? Mike Richter. Uh, you know, I would say you're looking at a Ferrari or a Lamborghini and Lundquist. The, the two of them are are the elite of the elite. But, uh, but you know, certainly at that level, to do what they've done for all the years, uh, to – and Mike probably would have had a, a five- or a six-year longer career if not for a concussion from mm -hmm. a Chris Tanner shot from center that hit him in the side of the mask. Uh, but but both those guys are, you know, you get one and one A. They're, they're clearly the best. But, you know, Mike did what no other goaltender had done since – Davy Kerr, mm -hmm. 1940. I mean, that long ago, um, we didn't even, we didn't have Stanley Cup pictures in color, and we were burning burning the mortgage to the old Madison Square Garden in the Stanley Cup. So <laughs> that's a long time ago. <laughs> uh, so now you're president and executive director of the NHL Alumni Association. So how cool is it to work with all these foreign players, these legends of the game, and make sure because we've had a lot of guys on who've had difficulty, and they admit to trans, you know that going from playing to now everyday civilian life again. Um, so how great and rewarding is the work with players now? Yeah, I've got a relatively easy job. Uh, my job is to make tomorrow better than today for players, spouses, and their children. And, you know, when you play in the NHL, you have a very short career and you have a long life. And you want to make sure that long life is as great as that short career and that journey. And with players, the thing that really happens when the NHL train leaves the station for the first time and you're not on it in 16 years or 20 or five, phone stops ringing. The interconnectivity amongst your mates stops. And structure, which is what we are all about when we played, you know, 9.30 bus, 10.30 practice, 11.30 bus, 1 o'clock meal, 4 o'clock bus, you know, PP meeting, PK meeting. You know, John Amaranti with the National Anthem at 7.03, 7.24, puck drop, rinse and repeat. That is gone. And so you lack that structure, the interconnectivity. And for some players, that transition can be hard. And it's up to me and a, an incredible staff to make uh, that journey complete so that the second journey is as good as the first one. And for the players that struggle uh, with my team, and it's consists of a number of social workers and doctors and psychologists and psychiatrists and one of the top neurosurgeons in the world to make tomorrow better than today. And we're accomplishing that one family at a time. That's awesome. Well, Glenn, thanks so much for coming on and joining us this week. It was an honor to talk to you. And uh, let's hope that maybe we get some new Stanley Cup blood in, uh, in MSG soon. But until then, thank you to you and all the 94 players that are such unbelievable ambassadors to the Rangers organization. Well, uh, incredible because the fan base deserves it. And uh, I hope they enjoyed that championship because I haven't let it go. And rarely do I buy a beer in New York. And I want to thank you for that, all you fans, because you haven't forgotten. You've honored the past. Thank you. Thank you so much, Glenn, for joining us. That was awesome. I mean, uh, how can you not love listening to stories about Mike Keenan and Wayne Gretzky saying he's a blind goalie? And losing the Stanley Cup with Nick Kiprios, just incredible stories. Um, a great guy, and I cannot thank him enough for coming on the show. And obviously, anyone from the 94 team, it's so special to talk to them. A team that I, that was my team growing up. You know, all those guys were my guys. So it's always incredible when I can sit down and talk with one of them and just hear their hockey story. So that was fantastic. And I can honestly cannot thank him enough for getting him on. And a shout-out to our former guest, Pat Flatley, for helping set up that interview. So thank you to Pat for setting that up, and thank you, Glenn, for taking the time to join us. And that does it for episode 105 of the Broadway Hat Podcast. Make sure you are subscribed to the show on Apple Podcasts, and while you're subscribing, leave us a five-star review. Every five-star review, a dollar is donated to Alex's Lemonade Foundation. So please take a moment out of your day, leave a five-star review, and help an amazing cause that helps fight pediatric cancer. 
please and go uh, follow the show on Spotify and subscribe there. You can find the show on Google Play, Pandora, Spreaker, anywhere you get your podcasts. Make sure you go and follow the show on all social medias as well. On Twitter, at Pod, at my personal account, at KHOLNY. Also on Facebook and Instagram, at the Broadway Hat Podcast. And thanks for listening. We'll see you next week. Iowans, you have dozens of betting options. Try a sports book built by bettors and run by bettors. Fred Doan started BetFred over 50 years ago with funds from a winning bet, and he's been known for delivering the best betting experience ever since. Visit BetFredSports.com to give us a try. New customers betting $50 get 111 in Fred bets and up to 200 Fred bets per week for five weeks. Terms apply. Proud partner of the Iowa Cubs and Iowa Wild. Must be 21 plus. Wagers only accepted in Iowa. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-BETS-OFF.